the window had been busted out and our gear, part of our gear had been stolen. Uh, there's nowhere to play up here at all. I'm just well, gonna throw this out there that it almost sounded like you were kind of the dark side sometimes of the scene. At the end of it, our bass player told us, like, he just looked at us and was like, yeah, this is my last show. We were debating whether to whip this guy's ass or not. Welcome, everyone, back to another party edition of Dark Side of the Scene. I'm your host, Brandon, alongside my co-host, Ed. What's up? Trying to open this beer. Oops. Oh, whatever. Where's this one from? Um, Another chocolate porter from uh, Holland, Michigan. Big Lake Brewery. Shout out to them, I guess. <laughs> he likes to drink your beverages. We're oh, always... man, I I'd gone... We're always willing to take some free beverages. <laughs> I had a, uh, my buddy, Corey and I, we actually hit like a, it was like a, kind of like a drinking. It wasn't a bar really. It's just one of those places you casually drink like craft beers, but cause you know, that is a good thing up there. And there were some real tasty ones. And I, uh, I'd went to flesh God apocalypse and, uh, obscure up in Joliet. Right. And then I wondered about the show, and it's like, I wonder what shitty things they had to do or face today before the show happened. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know, be able to ask them, but made me wonder about that. So, yeah, I don't really have a rant today. What about you? <laughs> I've got some that I can pull out of my ass. This Sweet. one we talked about the other day, and you posted something on Facebook and tagged me in it, and I think it rings true. So to anyone out there listening, I don't care what gear you play on, but just so you know, if you have a shrine bag, which is a complete dime bag rig. Oh, the dime bag post. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you think that only people that play on Dean or dime or whatever gear is the only way to play metal. And anyone that plays on like a seven string or an eight string are less talented because Dime played on a six and you think your shrine bag guitar style is the only way that can be played for metal. You're a fucking dipshit. Uh, you shouldn't tune so low. I mean, well, you have that dude. I guess his name's Tosin Abasi. He's he's a small time guy. He plays an eight string, but like he sucks, right? Yeah. 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 No, that guy does crazy things that i would never hear I'm like that's a guitar but yeah those yeah. dime it's, bag guys <laughs> they think that uh only old dime time was uh the best of the best well this might ruffle some feathers but this is what this show does my personal take on dime bag is i thought he was overrated for what he was most of his solos are out of key but we're not going to go there <laughs> and uh a lot of the stuff that they played was just nothing that I was personally a fan of. And if you're a fan of Pantera or Damage Plan or anything that Mr. Dime was involved in, that is completely fine with me because I don't give two shits what someone listens to. But the fact that he's been put up in God tier 
mainly after <laughs> he died, which is pretty fucking metal to go out on stage. I mean, it's a shitty way to go, but I guess if I was going to go and I was doing fucking band shit, I mean, you live on an infamy over that one. Right. But, he did, you know, he did what he loved. Unfortunately, everybody had it that were there had to see that crap. So, yeah, that sucks ass. But I will say this, like, I, I like to Pantera back in the day when I just start playing guitar, which I respect them. But like, yeah, towards the end of the years or more for more so in his career, like it felt like his playing started going backwards and he just had like, you know, like, okay, riffs and wouldn't get his foot off the, that pitch shifter thing. Whammy I th- pedal. I should know what that is. Duh. I think a lot of people, and that's not that I don't have a respect for them because yes, they did help bring in the metal that I listen to but at the same time I've just never really like I like Metallica but I don't necessarily think they're fucking the end all be all you know what I mean right same with Slayer I like some Slayer stuff too but I don't think they're like fucking gods I know it's maybe sacrilegious in the metal community but it is what it is we're all no no because some people are just stuck in that mode like I respect all that stuff, but there's always something new because I get ear fatigue from listening to the same band. I got to hear something else, you know? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I know that's that's my little bit of a rant tonight. It's just more or less I can't stand when other people dog on other people because of what they're choosing to play on. Now, granted, I guess I could be a little elitist sometimes when I see someone coming out thinking they're rocking the fucking world on a line six spider i mean as a new person playing guitar or anything like that i mean hey play what you got to play it's if you're happy with it that's awesome but what i've seen them shit on other people that have better gear because they think their noob stuff is superior <laughs> i mean all right dudes let's 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 tone it down a bit <laughs> oh yeah let's let's see, back I'm, that up see i'm glad uh you had the rant today. They're going to make me think. They're going to think I'm the asshole ranting all the time. <laughs> no, we're both assholes. Oh, okay, cool. I knew it. <laughs> there's good cop, bad cop. And then uh, there's uh, just me and you're just, we're not cops at all because we're just assholes. So <laughs> it's the buddy cop thing. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Well, if nothing else, I guess uh, you're ready to bring this guest in on tonight. But if you would like to be on a guest of, these two assholes ranting and raving about music stuff. <laughs> you can totally do that. Just send an email to Brandon at darksideofthescene.com and we can get you scheduled for a future episode. We are currently booked almost every day for the next month. So that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, but thank you. Thank you for those people. Yeah, definitely appreciate all you guys out there wanting to hop on this shit with us. It's very fulfilling to know that we're doing something that hasn't even officially launched yet and we've gotten quite a bit of support for it so thank you guys yeah i mean yeah but we're gonna bring on in our guest tonight his name is drew so we'll do that here in a second so just sit tight we're joined tonight by our guest drew drew thanks for coming on here and talking with ed and i yeah thanks for having me hi drew nice to meet you nice to meet you too Hmm. where are you from drew uh i'm from minnesota uh, specifically like southeastern Minnesota area. Grew up in 
in Northfield and Nurse Strand, and then Winona and Rochester and Byron are all places I've lived, which are places that most people probably have never heard of. So, no, is that what? No clue. Is yeah. that why you look like a lumberjack? <laughs> That's exactly why. Yeah. I see now. <laughs> it's the only way to survive out here. Apparently. Is it cold up that area all the time? Uh, no, not all the time. I mean, it, it's probably only like, uh, I would say prohibitively cold, maybe three, four weeks out of the year tops. I guess that's pretty subjective, but like, I only get real uncomfortable if it's like below, below like 10. And that's not most of the, most of the winter. Yeah. It's been pretty nice here lately. It's like in the high thirties and forties for the whole week, which is pretty great. I think we've been having close to 60 the last couple of days. Kind of crazy. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's Indiana. It doesn't, it's like a bipolar person. Sure. It's mine. <laughs> At 60 today, blizzard tomorrow. Right. Oh, yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what type of music do you play? Like instruments, anything like that? Like how are you involved with the music scene? Sure. Um, I play mostly string instruments, so guitar, bass, banjo, mandolin, um, pedal steel. And uh, I do some piano and some vocal work and stuff like that, uh, getting into synthesizers real heavily. And I've been involved in music um, in a working capacity since I was, geez, like probably 13 or so. Um, started playing when I was 10 and, uh, started, started playing with my family. We actually, uh, our, our dad had us start learning all at the same time and form a, just with the siblings, a family band. Partridge family. Exactly. Yes, sir. Yeah. It was, uh, that, and it was a lot like we didn't really know anybody who knew how to play. I grew up in a village technically, um, and it was like a 270-person village uh, in rural Minnesota. So we didn't really like know anyone who played. We didn't have internet. Um, I, I mean, we had my dad's like 200-disc CD changer thing that he had set up to his sound system. So uh, to learn, he would just put an album on and and we would listen to it and try to mimic the sounds on the instruments that he assigned us to. And uh, after a little while, we started catching on to stuff. And then, like, our family vacations stopped being vacations and started being, like, work trips. Because in order to, like, stay anywhere, we would have to do, like, residencies where we'd play, you know, two, three hours a night. And uh, that would cover, like, the, the room and board wherever we were staying. And, yeah, from that point, like, on, it's been... I'm 30 now, and it's, you know, it's been good 17 straight years of of working all the time <laughs> oh you're like a musical gypsy band huh <laughs> actually but uh determined by the <laughs> government of switzerland yes my family <laughs> lived in switzerland for a little while uh, hell <laughs> yep and uh it's been a wild ride they lived in switzerland i didn't live there with them um they moved right when I moved out to college and they moved over there. Um, my dad's job took him over there and uh, we were homeschooled all growing up. Cause again, we lived in a village. So it was not like 
<laughs> there wasn't a lot of school uh, opportunity out that, there. That you're probably better off that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we got to we got to go to college two years early, graduate two years early, and all that stuff. So, but yeah, we uh, so they lived over there, and then uh, the band would head over there, and because we had a free place to stay with my parents, and uh, we'd gig around there for a few months at a time and stuff. But in order to continue homeschooling my younger siblings, um, they had to be uh, kind of reviewed, inspected by the Swiss government um, to make sure that they qualified as, uh, as, well, I think technically the term that they used was circus performers. Oh, not chocolate so, makers. Yeah, no, I was just, uh, just circus performers. So yeah, that's, somewhere in some official government record that's my family's circus performers that's fucking random <laughs> i know <laughs> not yeah. only did you leave you left our mountains you went to the you decided to upgrade the mountains and go to some other mountains oh yeah oh yeah. wow yeah and it was a so, good time that was so that what, was a fun place so what primarily music was your family's um so uh, it started out uh i think my dad kind of wanted us to he only ever really listened to country music uh, when we were real young. So like, I think that was kind of what his hope was that we were going to be kind of a, a more country styled band. Mm. Uh, my brother and I found rock music and uh, kind of decided to veer away from the, the country style pretty hard. So mm. that band uh, was pretty exclusively like hard rock into metal for a while and then uh for like the residencies and stuff we'd have to learn you know several hours of covers so that introduced a variety of stuff we would do some country a lot of like classic rock and a lot of pop and r&b stuff and so with that band it's been all over the map um and you know since since that time i've also been pretty heavily involved in a lot of other projects both uh i had a dubstep metal band uh, for a while in the early 2010s, that was pretty fun. It was called Chug Chug Wob. And uh, <laughs> and then, uh, like, I've been involved in country cover bands and indie rock bands. And I've played with some hip-hop artists and stuff and, and some blues artists. So it's it's been all over the place for me. So was your dad pissed off at you for being a disappointment after not sticking with the country? Uh, I think... <laughs> I'm it, <laughs> No, 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 that's fair. I think uh, at first he... He, it, you know, was not his favorite stuff, but I think he kind of realized that um, we were finally getting passionate about it. And uh, once that realization set in, he was he was pretty supportive of everything. And I mean, we're still playing together. We're recording a, another album. Um, we're right in the middle of it right now. And that's doing like uh, that's doing like Christian worship music. This most recent album, which has been quite an experience and yeah so it's been we kind of like go all over the map and as as of now like we're all adults and and he he supports it so it's been a good that's been a great experience like that mm -hmm. band's been a lot of fun so yeah. you're just yeah you're just well-rounded at everything trying to be that's so, the only way to make a living now so far this has been very positive so <laughs> yep. the point of the show is what has been your horrible experiences and stories? Sure, yeah. What you've ran into going from here to there with your family. You know, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, actually, so it's interesting. Um, 
I don't know when, when this is going to air, but as of recording it, it just popped up in my, my Facebook memories. Mm. Uh, one of the, one of the, I guess, huge obstacles to our musical journey or my musical journey specifically, it's, uh, the anniversary of a, and I, I don't think the organization's around anymore, but I'm going to play it safe. Hmm. <laughs> um, but we used to be involved in this, uh, this Christian music competition that would, that would, uh, that was based out of like the twin cities area of Minnesota. And it was like fairly large. Um, there were a lot of the, the Christian music industry is, I don't know how much you guys know about it, but it's, a, it's a real fascinating, uh, ecosystem, I guess we could say. Hmm. And, uh, this particular event, we, we were involved with it for, oh, I don't know, three, four years in a row or something like that. And, uh, it's weird. Cause like at the time you're just a kid. I mean, I was we were going through that stuff, it would have been between when I was like maybe 14 and then like 18, like somewhere in, in that window. Um, but I just remember like thinking at the time, like, oh man, this is like the the big shots, you know, we you do the typical thing that you'd see in like movies of like you play the the battle of the bands and then you mm -hmm. win it and then you get signed and then it's all finally going to start, you know, going our way. And I just, all of our experiences with that competition were such a mixed bag. I, and, and it, it was now, especially like looking back on it, it was, I'm glad that we never kind of got anywhere with it. We almost did the, the particular anniversary was uh, of the night that we won uh, and made it to the final round uh, only to be uh, shot down by uh, a band that essentially was Mumford and Sons, uh, like the budget version of Mumford and Sons, huh. which is just kind of how it goes. And, and yeah, when we were young, we didn't know all the inner workings. We didn't understand like, especially like the judging didn't always make sense. Um, now you can kind of see through it. A lot of the stuff they'd have like these scores for everybody and there'd be, uh, and I say this with unseen air quotes, but like industry <laughs> leaders as the judges. Um, and they'd give you all these comments and you'd think, okay, well, these are the things I need to work on. If I do this, you know, I'll get a better score next year or something. And, but the comments would, oftentimes be completely contradictory you know we'd we were up there i remember one year we were playing through like a, a fender deville combo amp and uh it was like a you know spendy good quality tube amp mm. and one person gave us a low like a really low score saying get a real amp and then the other person gave us a really <laughs> high score saying great high quality equipment that you're using like and it would be the same night you know same panel of judges and then the next round you'd go in and get judged and then it'd be like the opposite like they'd be like why don't you upgrade your amp and then the other person would be like that's actually not a bad amp and it would be all this just completely i don't know non-music related i have never heard of something like that even in the other kind of battle of the band style right I've, right i've never heard of gear being part of the reason oh yeah oh yeah don't... oh dude and and like i said 
14 through 18, I don't know any better. I'm going, okay, well, these people definitely know what they're talking about. Like, I got to listen to them. And if, if, you know, we, we do what they say, like, we'll have a shot at this. And it kind of like now looking back, I realized like, oh, I, I don't know if they really, if the judging really mattered that much, if it was like, <laughs> they're just looking for some way to like put forward the band that sounds like a current popular band so that they can make money kind of leeching off the parents and that uh, don't let their kids listen to the secular artists, but oh, there's a Christian equivalent to that artist that they can listen to. And like nowadays you, you look at it and you go, okay, well that that's clearly what's, what's going on with that. Um, Cause like I said, like the, the last year, the year that this is kind of the anniversary of it was uh, we were like doing a, a real prog rock thing and it was us. It was one other, one other like kind of indie rock band. And then it was like a folksy, like an upbeat folksy Mumford and Sons band. Hmm. And I won't name that band. Cause I think they are still, still going. Um, but, but yeah, I just remember thinking like, we'd finally made it to the final round and the judging was like real positive the last time. And I even remember like one of the judges coming up to us afterwards and saying, like saying that, Oh yeah, that's a real like fresh marketable sound. You know, if you change a little bit of your, of your songwriting approach and, you know, make it a little bit more hooky, like this could go pretty far. And then, yeah, we wound up in, in a, in a round with Mumford and Sons and, and uh, lost to them because I think the actual Mumford and Sons was doing pretty well for themselves around 2012. So, and this is they're kind of hardcore about what they want out of you guys. I mean, yeah, they're they're like I didn't understand back then that it, it's the same as any other industry. It's just yeah, they throw yeah. the Christian part on it so that, like I said, parents kind of feel better about what their kids are listening so, to. So, as you're talking about the subject matter. Are you going to judge me because of my bad mouth? Because I'm realizing it, you might be oh. religious, correct? <laughs> Just no, asking. No. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. Not a, I it's make things show. slip. Oh, yeah, but I make yeah, things no. slip out. I also no. respect people, you know. Yeah, but, yeah, no, no. Okay. No, I mean, I'm, I am I, don't still, but I. it does not bug me if other people do. It's gotten me in trouble uh, that it doesn't bug me because <laughs> for whatever reason, like I've always found it real funny. I don't know. Swear words are just funny to me. And, uh, right and so yeah. I'll, I'll get into a situation where someone's like screaming at me <laughs> and they'll say something that just catches me kind of funny. And I, tr and I'm, I have to like always reassure people. I'm not laughing at you. It was just like a funny sounding thing that you said, but that doesn't ever seem to like make fights <laughs> go better. <laughs> usually if you, usually if you laugh at the guy screaming at you, he just gets like much more angry which then leads to a lot more swearing, which then leads to like a lot more laughing. And it's a, it's a vicious cycle. It actually reminds me of a story how like, uh, I have a friend who she met a, a person and like, uh, I have a potty mouth. Right. And I, I was just being myself. And then later on, she was like, he was uncomfortable the way you're saying stuff. And I'm like, well, how do I know somebody's uncomfortable? They like, I feel like, if somebody's uncomfortable and they don't want to say anything, they should just like start rubbing their knees and like moving and <laughs> rocking back and forth. The universal sign of somebody's uncomfortable without saying it. I mean, I wish oh, you would sure. have done it. So now I do it anyway. 
And like, what's wrong with you? I'm feeling uncomfortable. I don't know. <laughs> remind me of all that. That's I so, try and I try and keep uh, conscious of what I say because sure. I do. I have a very bad mouth too, but I also do certain things to where I've got kids around and everything else. So oh sure, it is what it is. But no, I have. If I know someone doesn't say it much, and I know other people listen to this and they probably get turned off by some of the things we say, but if the guest is on here dropping F-bombs left and right, I was like, okay, if they're going to do it, that just leaves it up for me to do it too, because, <laughs> right. but I respect anyone's thing. So if you don't say it, then I'll tone it down as well. Oh, I don't, don't worry about me. Right. I like, I might chuckle a couple of times. So forgive me for that. You've but... been chuckling the whole time. I feel positivity <laughs> here. So oh, <laughs> what is the, aside from being, you know, that competition, what else have you kind of encountered as far as like, you know, things that go amiss in your game? Well, yeah. So, so a lot of it still has to do with like that scene. Cause it's, it was a, when I was kind of like coming up in it, which would have been like mid 2000s into the 2010s, I just remember there being a, a huge scene in Minnesota of like, Christian like rock and metal bands mm. and a lot of us would participate in this particular organizations like competitions and things like that and and just a lot of us would wind up playing like all the same shows and I think everybody when we all kind of saw through what was going on that oh this is just like a, a big marketing ploy like that you know it's a business obviously so they're trying to make money with their labels and stuff but when we found that it was like a little disingenuous compared to what we were led to believe about it, there was kind of this massive split where, I mean, a lot of people, it kind of shook them up. They went off, kind of did, did their own, uh, did their own thing, went off the, went off the deep end, the opposite direction. A lot of people, it kind of like, uh, kind of, what would the term be? Well, just kind of made other people go even harder the way that they were going. There was this almost like implosion of the scene where, I mean, now like most of the, most of the bands that I played with, even up through the mid 2010s, either don't exist anymore or all hate each other. <laughs> and it's just through, and it was through that. And it, it, it's just sad to see. So there's the destruction of that scene that kind of sucked. Um, and the destruction of a ton of relationships because of it. Other kind of sucky things, though, I mean, if you are a, a family band that's like traveling across the country and sometimes the world, mm. your budget's ne never going to be that big. I mean, we had a ton of, we have a, I'm a family of seven kids. And uh -huh. everybody, everybody who's involved everybody's got instruments and instrument repairs, you know, everybody's eaten, everybody's got to sleep somewhere. And so when things would go awry at a show, like we were kind of always on um, teetering on the edge of, <laughs> of catastrophic, you know, career ending disaster, because I remember one show that we played in up in like Northern Minnesota um, for this little town festival just about every single technical problem went wrong. Hmm. Like our, all of a sudden our keyboards stopped passing signal at all. Uh, I had two bass strings broke, to, uh, break, didn't have any spares. My brother's guitar headstock snapped off 
<laughs> was, was it a Gibson? It was a Gibson. Yes, it was oh, a Flying Lord. V. Headstock snapped off at the show, and Shout then out to Gibson. Oh Is yeah, that common. Um, I mean, it's common enough for there to be memes about it. So <laughs> I don't know much about Gibson. So <laughs> they they have a they have a bad design, and I play Gibson like I play the same Les Paul that I've had since I was thirteen. I still play it today, but the angle on the headstock uh causes a lot of forward tension so if you have any sort of impact on the front of the guitar yep. the strings just pull that headstock right off the thing and that's what happened but we got like electrocuted a bunch at that show to what? the point where i had like a burn on my upper lip um from the microphones step up a lip sorry y- yep that is <laughs> a real like... thing i've been shocked plenty of times from oh yeah and you know it's a it's a summertime outdoor festival, so it's like ninety degrees. You're getting electrocuted yeah. every every yeah. instrument's breaking. Do you have like costumes? I picture like kind of like Amish with the women wear dresses and. Uh no no okay. we don't have we don't have costumes. We've tried to convince. <laughs> I mean, then that's another thing is like you'll have interpersonal conflict. We've tried to convince uh, each other multiple times. It's like no one's ever all on the same page at the same time but we've tried to convince each other like oh we need to actually like make the show more of a spectacle like we should probably have some sort th- some sort of like thematic thematic costuming or something and mm. you know, we've we've had the talk but with seven people involved it'll be like i'm i'm all on board for it at one point and and then our other guitarists will be like, no. And then like our drummer will come back a few months later. And then at that point, I'm kind of overdoing the costume thing. And so, yeah, we have little conflicts like that. But uh, so windbreakers weren't in the budget. No, they were not. in the. I mean, uh, instrument repair was rarely in the budget. And I remember like one one particular tour that we were involved with, which was going across the U.S. A year beforehand, my brother's seven string broke because we were kind of getting into some heavier stuff at that point. Oh, okay. Hmm. And uh, it was one of the rare times where, okay, we can afford to fix this thing. And uh, and we're not probably the neatest people. And so he just <laughs> left, like, he left all the repair slip and invoice and all that stuff in his case. And so a year later, we're in uh, Colorado, and we were going to be playing in in boulder and then we were going to be playing in colorado springs and i think boulder colorado the show dropped right when we got there like the the venue contacted us and they were like hey we canceled the show and this was in the middle of like i mean we were several weeks into gigging around and stuff for this Mm. tour so they dropped the show and I remember it was kind of like we were all taking the chance to be like okay well you know maybe we'll do like a couple of rest days and uh, there was like a, a tour bus and then it was our vehicle, which our, our vehicle that we would gig in was a 1996 uh, F-350 mm. um, with pulling a little trailer. So it would be, you know, the seven of us, maybe questionable legality on the seating arrangement. Wow. Um, driving across the country. And on on that trip, I believe, I believe it was that tour, like, on our way out to Indiana for the first leg of it, our uh, one of our wheels came off on the freeway. Hmm. So it was already kind of like a little bit of a rough start. 
like we got stranded in Indiana for a while. Sorry and, to hear that. Uh, Thanks, Holcomb. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was it was a little bit of a bummer. Fortunately, you know, we were able to get towed and get parts replaced and the wheels back on and the tours back on. But yeah, at this oh. point in Colorado, like uh we'd lost a show, so we were like, okay, it's a rest day. And a bunch of the bands that were riding in the tour bus were like, well, we got to run errands today then, but we don't want to drive the bus all over the place. Um, can we go in your vehicle? And I was like, yeah, I'll drive. And some carton bands around. And we had just gotten rained out of the show that we had played the night before, uh, an outdoor show. And so we kind of like loaded everything back up into our truck and trailer real fast. And then maybe a little tired, maybe a little too lazy to like unpack everything. And so we go hit like a grocery store and a bank and, you know, just run some errands and then drive back to the place we were staying. And when we all, we all got out of the truck. I took a look at the back end of the truck and realized the tailgate was open Oh. and there wasn't anything in the back of the truck. And I, I ran inside to my brother, the, the guitarist and uh i was like hey like we did did we take everything out of the truck this morning and i just remember he went completely white in the face because oh. <laughs> in the back of the truck that morning uh was my five string bass um which you know all things considered it was gonna be okay because three of the other bands on the tour were playing five strings and then his seven string guitar, but no one else on the band was playing a seven and all of the songs in our set that we were touring on required it. Mm. And his seven was a like, it was a nice guitar. He had saved up for a long time for it. It was a, like a music man, John Petrucci signature oh, and like a expensive in like a metallic orange. Like it was a very unique guitar. And oh, man. <laughs> I remember so, he, so he just got stolen. excuse me, it got stolen or fell out. It fell out. Oh, yeah. So I remember he was just like, get in the truck. We got to go. And so I hop in the truck and he's like, do you remember the exact route that you took? Oh, man. And I was like, I, no, I don't know this town at all. So I'm just get it's just him and me. And I'm just guessing and I'm driving. You know, we make a circuit to like the it was maybe, I don't know, maybe like 12 miles round trip or something like that in this mm. just unfamiliar place one circuit and uh didn't see anything he's like go out again like take different streets we got to find something and uh the second time we actually found my base which i could not believe was in the side of the road it was in the middle of the road is in a 45 mile oh, an hour zone no that's messed up i i ran out and grabbed it and just threw it in the back i didn't even look to see if it was okay because i at that point i was just sick to my stomach concerned about his guitar yeah. and we drove another circle and and didn't find it and we went a third time and didn't find it and uh yeah i was like <laughs> i remember like i remember like we were waiting there was a we were stuck behind a train like for the last mile of the trip we were stuck waiting for this train to cross and i just remember going it's got to be behind this train like the maybe it's going to be one of these like, you know, storybook moments where on the last trip, like the train crossed and there it was, you know? And, uh, I remember like just convincing my brother, like, 
hey, we got to like, I don't know, we got to like pray or sing some worship songs or something like we, we got to convince God that we're like worthy of getting this guitar back. Yeah. And uh, so we're just sitting waiting for this train, just praying and singing and just hoping train goes by nothing. And uh, we happen, we, he was like, let's just go one more time and load everybody up so that we can have all eyes looking. And we load everybody up. And the last time that we go out, um, the last time he got a phone call from a phone number, he didn't recognize he picks up and he's like, Hey, and we didn't hear the other end. He was like, Hey, we, we got to go to this address. He punches an address into our GPS and we go. And it was this, this lady's house. And she said she was putting her kid down for a nap and heard a bang outside of her house <laughs> and ran out to the front, like the front door and saw a black case just laying in the road and a big white truck driving off. And then she said that, a another car pulled up and someone got out of the car and started walking over the case. And she started screaming at him and said the person got back in their car, drove off and she <laughs> went out and grabbed the case and uh, opened it up. There's a guitar in there. And she was like, I, I don't know how in the world I'm going to find the owner of this. And, uh, she happened to find like that old repair slip from over a year ago that had his name and phone number on it. And so she, we got the guitar back. I think we gave her like all the merch that we had left. It just, <laughs> we were like so grateful, but we were always kind of teetering on the, on the edge of, uh, of not being able to continue the journey. Like we wow. were, we, we were always playing with I, no backups. I always thought like, when you said you got a phone call, I thought it was like, hello, it's Jesus. And then when you meet him, it's John Petrucci holding your brother's guitar. <laughs> like, oh. oh, man. I mean, at this point, it could happen. Who knows? But I've been hilarious. Yeah, that was kind of how we've always. Yeah. So basically, you got like. Because, like you said, you're always like on, on a rush to do everything and you let you have some strange seating arrangements so you guys are always in a hurry to get to the next town you don't have like a road crew because you technically are the road crew right? oh yeah yep everybody everybody sets up tears down works the merch table uh books the shows like everybody's working all the time so like tour at least for us even in europe like it's never been a glamorous thing when we went to europe the first time we'd hired a promoter. We were like, okay, we finally have some budget saved up. Like, let's do this thing. Right. Let's get, get a European promoter, get him to book us some shows. And then we'll go over there and we'll play for a couple of months. And the day before we left, um, we found out the promoter had kind of skipped town. Oh my took, God. Took all the money and hadn't contacted any venues for the like couple of months leading up to it. And I think it was like a, it was like several thousand dollars that we'd paid him and what, we, what, we never heard from him again. What, what country was it from? I know I'm not trying to like, you know. Oh, he was, a, he was, he was a Swiss. He was either a Swiss or a German promoter. I'm going to take your mind. I don't know. I guess. <laughs> I just wondered, like, I know, like, I guess I don't know like everything about Europe. I mean, I just assume that they might have their stuff together because some of their government support music, but mm -hmm. I guess like, you know, there could be shifty shady people. Oh, dude, obviously. dude. I mean, so S Switzerland was like the main place that we would stay because, of course, that's where my parents were. And so that was like mm. where most of the experience was. And they have like a pretty low crime rate 
in the country because they they punish for the the crimes like they punish pretty severely for a lot of stuff so if you're not from there and you commit a crime i think pretty much anything they'll just straight up deport you never let you back oh damn no more time for you yeah exactly i do have a question yeah i mean you may have answered this earlier and maybe i just went completely stupid and just forgot but what, what took your parents to switzerland yeah, good question. Um, so my dad used to work for a company that is still in business. <laughs> um, he used to work for like a, a company that had to do with like publishing. Um, but like, I'm trying to think of a way to say it without saying anything that would give the company away. Uh, it, it, it was a pretty serious. Um, it was a publisher of some very serious materials, we'll say. He makes watches. And, yeah i wish oh my goodness i wish but uh so his job moved a lot of the like my understanding of it is they moved a lot of their like senior staff over there because their headquarters was over there um and they'd moved them over there It was like mandatory that you had to spend like five six years over there and then when they came back they would basically like ax them um which I don't think he knew about the axing part until <laughs> near the end of his time over there when all of his buddies were starting to lose their jobs. Um, very vicious cycle. Yeah, very right. vicious cycle. It, I mean, I'm like, we're in a better place now, but I'm still a little sore at what they did. It doesn't seem strictly legal to me that you'd be able to just like let go of all of your senior staff. Because it was all the senior staff. It was all the all the older older people that were working there, which is a bummer. But anyway, so they he had to move over there for for his job. And at that time, a lot of my siblings were still, you know, too young to be living on their own. So they all lived over there too. And it was just my my older brother and I that uh didn't get to go live in Europe. <laughs> wow. Yep. But yeah, so that that like promoter guy just kind of ditched and we spent the first two weeks because we'd already booked like flights and everything we'd already shipped instruments over there oh man yeah and so uh so we were like well we gotta do something and yeah i I remember we spent the first two weeks like frantically trying to book shows and the problem is in switzerland if you did not book it a year in advance they're they're like yeah we're not gonna we're we're already booked up i mean it's a tiny country mm. so there's not that many venues i suppose but like you you gotta book things like pretty far in advance so we're just cold calling places and i mean we were we were literally walking and riding trains with our instruments and stuff i mean i was lugging like i was lugging a bass and guitar and a keyboard and you know so, like basically skeleton drum kit um just showing up at venues and going hey we you know we got our stuff here we can audition like we can show you we can show you what we play and stuff and just getting turned down left and right and left and right for two weeks straight (laughs) damn you swiss miss it was it was a little bit of a rough time i mean there's most of like i've been playing for 20 years because i started when i was 10 and then like gigging on a professional level for 17 of those years Mm. and 
most of it, like the grand majority of it is let down it. And I, I'm not trying to sound like pessimistic or anything, but like it's mostly rejection. It's not winning competitions. It's losing shows because a sketchy promoter, like ran off with your money. You know, it's, it's fighting with, uh, if not your siblings, cause I mean, we're siblings, so we have our, we have our disagreements, but if not with your siblings, like with the other bandmates in your band that isn't like bound to you by blood. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so we were just kind of sick of, of wandering around. So we decided, Hey, well, let's take like a tourist day. And at that time we had uh, a buddy who was like acting as our manager who, who, I've accidentally like caused his girlfriends to dump him multiple times. <laughs> and so, and I, he's my friend, I swear, but like we would get into <laughs> spats and stuff. And, and, uh, and like one, one of the times that I accidentally got his girlfriend to dump him, it was like completely meaningless. Like we had, uh, we had recorded an album. We had put a final track on the end of it because there was, you know, time and budget for one more song and i had just an extra throwaway tune so this little acoustic song and then we named it after him not thinking about it we were like let's just name it after david and and uh he was going to college with me and his girlfriend was also going to college uh same place and our album came out and she listened to it and heard the last song which was a song about like trying to decide between do i pursue like what I feel my dreams are, my career, uh, or do I kind of throw it away and, and settle for a relationship? And was the song called Tina's a battle axe? <laughs> no, this, the song was called two, five, six, David as <laughs> just a, as an inside joke with him as a throwaway uh... title. And it turned out that that was exactly what the two of them were going through. And I had no idea and the song was named after him. And she was like, I can't believe that you would tell them all of that stuff. And she dumped him right on the spot. You I, said, I can't so... believe you listened to that. Thank you. you know, I know. I gotta, gotta listen. There, it was a conflicted feeling. But yeah, so he and I were fighting a little bit at a train station on our tourist day. And in Europe? He, in Europe, yeah. And, uh, and he, he was very much like a hug it out type of guy. And at that time I was very much a do not touch me type of guy. <laughs> and so he was like trying to force a hug on me and I was just being physically unresponsive. And some woman ran over, thought that I was like having some sort of medical emergency. And so she ran over <laughs> yelling and trying to see if we were okay. And we were like, you have an American accent. She was like, you guys have an American accent. And it, you know, we got to talk and we were going on the same leg of the trip, the same direction. And so she's sitting with us on the train and we're telling her about the band and all the, the weird, you know, situation with the promoter and all that stuff. And she was like, well, Hey, I go to this, I go to this church and, and uh, I know the, the pastor, you could probably talk to him. I'll give you a cell phone number, like his personal cell phone number. And I was like, okay. And so mm -hmm. she gave us that. We never saw her again. Her name was Don. And so the next day we called the number and they agreed to like, have a meet like a sit down with us and so we lugged all of our stuff from zug to zurich and uh got to that church and and the secretary was like you guys can sit up in the in the library and wait and we sit up in the library and there's a little bulletin board up there and 
on the bulletin board was a picture of a man uh, who had lived with my family when I was three years old. Huh. And we were like, you know, Troy. And they were like, you know, Troy. And uh, it turned out that he had done like seminary there or something. So we wound up hitting it off with him. And wow. that led to us finally having places to play. But shout out to Don or is that her name? <laughs> uh, yeah, Don. Yeah. yeah. And they said, like, we asked them about her and they were like, yeah, I don't think there's anybody named Don in our congregation. And for the next five or six years, we did a lot of shows like with them. And uh, do you think it was like what they say, a guardian angel? intervention? Oh, yeah. it, I mean, I have to this day, I have no idea. It, it would have to be something like that. Maybe it's something completely like benign, but who knows? But like, that's kind of how the, my whole career has operated by the skin of my teeth, essentially, where mm. it looks like everything's going to go horrible. And then just one little thing comes through at the end. So for anybody that might be listening to this, considering a career in music, just know it's not it's not a stress free time. No, especially no. like especially when like some people have the misconception that like the Christian playing Christian music, they got a you know unlimited amount of funds. But sounds oh like, no, sounds very like limited. You, guys, you got the struggle berry on this one. <laughs> yeah. So, I do have some questions regarding this because yeah. I'm not I'm not a knowledgeable person when it comes to religious music or anything like that. It's not sure. really anything that I've been involved in. I know our scene back that I used to play in, there's a lot of Christian like metalcore bands and stuff like yep. that. So and I actually liked a lot of those bands and I was actually friends with some of those bands. But I honestly don't believe 99% of those bands were really Christian bands. I think they just used that because that's what was popular at the time. Hey, that's, that's, a, my, that's my question for them, too. Oh, that, yeah, that's another to that's another topic. for. Yeah. But how did, like, did you guys only strictly play, like, church venue type things, or how did that work? Oh, no. We played anywhere that would take us. So, like, we did a lot of bar shows. Mm. Um, we played, like... We, I mean, we do play, we did play a ton of churches. Um, and over there, like I got to play an acoustic set at a, at a church that the interior was unchanged from when Martin Luther was preaching there. <laughs> like, so real, real old one. places. Real yeah. Oh, yeah. Shit. Like that. Yeah. It was crazy stuff like that, but bars, clubs, like we played, uh, we played a lot of like nightclubs and you know some mid-sized venues and i've i've certainly played i mean we all do different projects too so like my younger brother uh spent like i think a few months with like a it's hard to explain but like a touring busking group hmm. where they would like ride around on a cart through london and play like acoustic music in a cart what kind, of so, cart what kind of cart like a like a fruit stand or i'm trying to picture this. it was like so yeah it was like i don't know how to describe it. it was like a tiny it was like the smallest truck you could imagine oh with a bed on it yeah with like a real tiny bed on it Man, so everybody's a... like you know elbow to elbow playing stuff like you know so and huh. with uh yeah so it's been kind of all sorts of venues and we play anywhere that'll take us. And, and we played like, 
Uh, we played some government gigs, which is real weird. We played some corporate gigs. Um, it just depends. And our set list too. I mean, that we've all been playing for the same amount of time. So our set list changes to kind of fit the vibe of the, fit the vibe of the venue, so to speak. Actually, this uh, brings up another thing that I talked about on other episodes, how like, mm -hmm. you know, when Brando was mentioning the scene, a lot of the metal bands used to play the churches because they seemed that they let them in. And I always thought, had this theory that maybe that's how they were trying to get them to go to the congregation. And if, if it didn't work, they disbanded or they became these huge like Christian metal band or let's say big metal bands under like with the Christian lining. I'm trying to sure. think. Of, do you think that backfired on the church or that's just, you know, just, you know, by coincidence? Oh, you, I mean, from yeah. your opinion, from your opinion of it, because you're yeah. Christian, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, well, I, like I grew up listening to a ton of the, the huge Christian metal bands too. I mean, that was like <laughs> under oath was like my, my bread and butter right, right. Uh, for a real long time. And, and, uh, and I remember like, even anything vaguely because i would scour lyrics like that was i'd read lyric books back when there were cds and stuff i'd read lyric books cover to mm -hmm. cover and you know anything vaguely christian i'd be like oh yes that means i can listen to that like i i have a lot of i don't know theological reasons to potentially believe that they a lot of them weren't christian to begin with i think there was a lot of advantage being taken not only by the bands, but also of the bands. Because mm -hmm. like I said, the, the, at least the corporate Christian music industry experiences that I had, I realized pretty quickly, like, oh, this is, this is just a money-making venture. Like there's not a, there's not like a heart behind it, if that makes sense. No, it's a, it's a good answer actually. And so, yeah, for, for a lot of those, those bands, like, I'm sure that some of them started out that way and and probably experienced some pretty sketchy stuff done by like the the labels and mm. you know the producers and whoever the promoters and managers and probably were driven away by that and I do think it was pretty easy for a while there in the in the 2000s to get big mm. being a Christian metal band cuz like the dubstep metal band I was in was a Christian dubstep metal band. And I still know all the guys and like everybody is friends. And the reason it broke up was that people started having families and stuff. <laughs> couldn't be, uh, couldn't be gigging every, every single night, but like it was such a quick rise for that band. And that, I mean, that's a no small part, I think to the fact that like, Oh, it's the Christian metal thing. These guys have a message and it's going to be like a real positive experience. But when it's when it's a shallow message, when it's uh, when it's based on, well, this is the way to get famous. And then, you know, once we have crossover appeal, then we'll we'll say, oh, well, we never actually said that we were a Christian band. We said that we were a band of Christian guys. But the, the music You're is different Christians in a band. Exactly. Yep. That's that the happened as I lay dying thing. Exactly. Yeah, as I well, lay dying was considered a Christian band, and they said, "Well, we're not Christian; we're just Christians in a band." Then Tim Lambesis goes and tries to have his wife murdered. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and there—I mean, there's so many stories of bands that aren't maybe as extreme as Tim Lambesis uh, hiring a hitman to kill his wife. Hey, he's doing it for the kids. Come on, that's all <laughs> for the kids. Roy sure. Rage does some 
does some mean things. But I, uh, I just didn't know, like, I mean, not to be funny about it, but I didn't oh, think yeah. they get paid enough to have that kind of money in a bag. But whatever. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I. Who knows? I don't. I know that like I certainly don't get paid enough. To, was it twelve? I thought it was like thirty. I thought it was like twelve grand that he gave the guy at the gym. I was like, first of all, twelve grand to be a hitman hit. I was like, that seems kind of low, in my opinion. <laughs> but what do I know? Yeah, it could be kind of low. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess I would say like, I think that certainly like any church that I've been a part of is real specific about vetting artists if they're going to have anybody come in special. Mm. And uh, so I know like. I was part of I was part of a church that had Skillet come play, and that was super fun. And Skillet seems to still be doing their thing, though it's not maybe my favorite kind of music. But I, I don't know about the the individual churches uh, per se. But I I certainly know that it's it's probably a mixture of taking advantage of of the faith, which seems icky to me. Mm. Um, to boost your career when that's the popular thing and also certainly getting taken advantage of by the sketchy people running this running the show do you guys ever give testimony during the show now the reason i ask is because i actually brought this up on a different episode and i'm sure we'll talk about it on future episodes i know there's some guys coming up that were actually in these christian metalcore bands that are no longer involved with this stuff but one particular band around here would always do almost like a sermon they take up like 15 to 20 minutes oh in, yeah in the middle of the set and there's still bands playing it used to make everyone so mad because we had a time limit and they would take up a huge almost enough time for another band to play because they were basically preaching to everyone and i don't care if that's what they want to do but don't do it during the middle of the show like have sure. them come talk to you yeah, like, yeah. You, you can make a few like hey come talk this is why we do this come talk to us over here and talk more about it but when you take up the entire show like for 15 to 20 minutes that that hurts the other bands oh yeah um yeah so we we would certainly like share testimony and things like that um i mean give a give a little message there were certainly like horrendous personal things that even though we all grew up together like there were horrendous individual personal things that we would all go through and so one of our rules was that no matter what we would always be the band that eats it as far as like if if one of the other bands went long in order to keep the show going we'd cut songs out of our our set list or if you know we were feeling led um i mean we're we're not to break it down into a bunch of deep theology stuff but like we're you know spirit led christians and so if we were feeling led to sacrifice some songs from the set list in order to talk about something like we would do that um and we would do it at the drop of a hat and even still i think we like we we haven't had too many shows since the beast but uh but uh even still if we had one we we're always happy to to eat it and that was a principle that our dad taught us working back at the place that he used to work was that he ran his his uh he ran his whatever his team at work um on the principle that no matter what happened during the workday if something 
negative was occurring. If some boss was yelling at somebody, they were going to eat it. They were going to be the ones where it stopped there. Like they just take it. You don't continue on the cycle. And so we kind of took that for the set list times. Like, and so because of that, you know, we'd be playing a show, you get a 25 minute set and the other band would go super long doing whatever they were going to do. And we might play one song and then talk. We might play three songs and not talk at all. It just depended. But I did know that like every time, especially my brother would talk about some of the stuff that he went through, which is his own story to tell. Um, every time we'd have somebody after the show come up and spend a couple hours chatting with us and telling us about the things that they'd gone through and stuff. And, and, you know, we try to, we always tried to keep, keep up with every single individual that ever felt some sort of connection with the band. So if some fan messaged, messaged us on social media, like we would, have a full on conversation with them. We'd hang out if we were in town, like that sort of thing. So we were always trying to be like as authentic as possible. And I think that got uh, solidified when we started to see a lot of the bands that we looked up to kind of fall, fall away from all of that stuff. It was discouraging at first, but then it was kind of a, it lit a fire under us to be like, you know what, we need to really be careful not to be taking advantage ever. Like we got to make sure that we're, we're honest about this stuff and that if, you know, if, even if we're going through a struggle, like we got to be result or resolute to make it out to the other side. Stay true to yourselves and true to your message. I respect that. Yep. Right. So when you weren't on tour, like you're, little family tours what did you do when you were at home like i mean obviously like i'm sure you didn't make enough on the road because you're splitting it with like your whole family and so oh yeah so what did, what did you do on your off time at home sure uh well <laughs> i did uh, and my brothers did uh, and actually my sisters did hard manual labor outside in the corn fields and strawberry fields a lot of the time and we grew up on a farm so we did farm work and then uh, when it came to college, I mean, it was studying 100% of the time. I decided to go for a music degree because I kind of wanted to understand what it was that I was doing every day. Nice. Um, <laughs> so we would, I mean, we would gig every single weekend too. So like my, my brother and I went to the same school and we would hire uh, different people to like come in or, or like have friends that were musicians come in and fill in the roles of the siblings that were out of country. And we would drive up to the Twin Cities a couple hours north to play shows on the weekends and then drive to Rochester, play at our at our church in Rochester and then drive back to Winona an hour and play at our church in Winona that night and then study for the week. And now it's uh, I teach I teach uh, private music lessons full time. Hmm. Um, so I play guitar all day, every day. And, well, and banjo and mandolin and, you know, you name it. But I. I play instruments all day, I play music all day, I teach people. I, uh, up until very recently, um, like directed student ensembles uh, that would then gig around the area. Instead of doing recitals at our lesson studio, we we have students like actually play real shows and then uh, play with play with country bands, play with, uh, with different artists around Southeast Minnesota. And 
make ends meet that way. Uh, so the movie School of Rock is about you, is, is what you're saying. <laughs> I do teach it at a place that's very similar to uh, to that. Are you are you are you going to basically do how it was in the movie? Who's just trying to because he was in a band and it didn't work so well. You're trying to ensemble the ultimate band to get back at all these people. <laughs> no? Uh, no, I actually, despite how stressful my whole oh. life of music has been, I do have fun doing it still. And uh, so I, I try never to be on the stage with the students if I can help it when they're mm. playing. Uh, I like to be, I like to be behind the scenes very much so. Oh, so, uh, so yeah, we just, we put them together. We rehearse with them and stuff. I'll fill in on bass if there's, there's always a shortage of bassists, unfortunately. Uh, yep. No kid ever goes, mom, can I have a bass for Christmas? Like, it's sad. They could make so much money if they only I know. Knew. Shout out to all those young kids listening. Please be a bassist. Be a bassist. Yes. Or a drummer. Or a drummer. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Bassists and drummers. Nobody likes please. the rhythm anymore. That's the problem here. It is a problem. Rhythm is the foundation. But uh, yeah, so I I do that um, full time, and then and then gig on weekends, and and I also do like uh, I do composition. Um, so I done collaborations with like I did a cool collaboration with a visual artist last uh, last summer, and wrote original pieces for her paintings, and she used them in a showing and got paid for it. That was pretty sweet. And I do like. Uh, did you get paid though? Oh no, I got paid for it. Yeah, it was great. Okay, I was just yeah, I was making sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was awesome, and uh, I do like jingles and stuff for businesses. Okay. And, yeah, so it's it's been pretty fun. I've been uh, putting together um, like podcast intro music for for some friends and and uh, local like podcasters and stuff. Nice. And I do get paid, and I do session work too. So it's yes, it's great, so- but it's a lot. So if dad called you, be like, son, we're getting the band back together. Would you do it? Oh, we're still together. Oh, so you tour still like the whole like family thing? Yep. The family. So right now, okay, my... I thought you didn't. Okay. No, my sister, it's been a, a couple of years since our last gig, just because, you know, the beast. Yep. The beast. Okay, you did say that. Okay. Yep. Um, Right now, my sister's husband is finishing up his commercial pilot's license, so that we will have uh, an Iron Maiden's. Good. You're going to get your own plane, aren't you? <laughs> We're probably nothing luxurious, but it's it's the long term plan is still the family band, and uh, and everybody works towards it still. And you know, my my other sister married an auto mechanic, which is great because if we have breakdowns, like mm-hmm. he can help. Um, and my wife's a musician; she's awesome. And and uh, my youngest brother is in um, computer programming, so he and I are are trying to uh, get a little uh, guitar pedal company launched. Oh. So we're we're just trying we're doing everything that we can to uh, still still and make things work. Any of your siblings are like a, a chef because you're gonna need to eat on the road too. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're everybody's actually like pretty handy cooking. Okay. We we kind of all learned how to do that on the road. So okay, that makes yeah. sense. Huh? Wow. But, We've uh, talked about the band, but I don't remember if you've actually said what the band's name is. I have not. Is um, allowed to? <laughs> no, I can. Oh, okay. We're called. That, that, we're we're, we're called. 
Yeah, we're called uh, we're called Breakthrough. That was our name when we started the band. We knew a well, we still know him, a, an artist by the name of Fred Somers, who's like a nationally well-respected artist and painter. And he uh, had a painting, and it was called Breakthrough. And my like a family loved it so much that, uh, and we support the arts, so bought it from him and named the band after it. And Man. yeah. I was hoping to be Partridge Hunters, <laughs> something like that. I don't know. That that would have been that would have been great, but no, it's it's just breakthrough. But yeah, we we still work on it. We've had to had to deal with uh, trademark disputes on the name and stuff. And wasn't there a breakdancing movie called that? Oh, there could be, but I, I know there's a <laughs> there's a there was a band for a while. We've had it trademarked since two thousand and two or three. Oh wow um going our dad but you're going on 20 years with that name yep indeed um dad has a uh background in law and uh so when we when we settled on a name i mean it was very handy a very handy resource to have where he was like uh you guys should probably you guys should probably trademark that just so that you don't wind up going for 10 years and then some other band with the same name drives you away from being able to use yours so we should probably trade trademark this podcast and not a bad idea not a bad idea at all i don't even know how you would even go about doing something like that ask, ask his dad it. he's got they got a lawyer too <laughs> it's 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 not as hard as you would think it's kind of expensive but uh because you have to you know pay for it every year and stuff um but you just every year payment thing yeah it's a yearly payment thing and <laughs> that's just so that if you're not like they also want to prevent people from like grabbing it and then just never using it. Yeah. So, and that's fair, I think, but I also yeah, just realized we, last night, just looking into it, you have to pay now to be blue checked on either Facebook or Instagram. If you're trying to be official, they make you pay like $15 a month, which I think. Oh yeah. Stupid. It's silly. Well, we got, we had a few thousand fans on our Facebook and then got our account deactivated and we never figured out why. Like we don't ever post controversial stuff. We kind of stay out of the were out adding, of the were you adding a bunch of people or no, no. Somebody? I mean it it was no, not mm. not too many for sure. I mean, we had maybe like I don't know, somewhere between probably three and four thousand if I remember. And it was like fans mm. that we would build up one at a time. Like we'd play a city, one person would follow, like that sort of thing. And so like we to this day still can't figure out why I remember like the day it happened, we were all panicking and like we had just a ton of stuff up and uh, up on on like our Facebook account and and lost a bunch of uh, lost a bunch of old videos and oh, man. recordings and stuff. And it happens. But Z Zuckerberg, yeah. if you're listening, this whole family is going after you. <laughs> we we gave up on on the whole facebook meta thing it's kind of on its way out anyway yeah it's kind of a waste of time but sadly that's all we typically use because you got that in instagram but i think nowadays you got tiktok and everything else but yeah i don't want to i'm old i'm almost 40 and uh I don't want to get into TikTok or Snapchat or any of that stuff. He just I doesn't had... want to do the dances. You got to dance I, on there. Yeah, yeah, you do have to dance on there. I, I think that's fair. I was on it for a little bit uh, in 2020, and then I got off it pretty quick. 
Uh, I just don't think anyone wants to really see me up there shaking my uh, group thing here or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you might... never know nowadays. You never right. know. <laughs> yeah, nowadays you never know, but I think it might be a moneymaker, not because they want to see it. They're just paying me to stop. <laughs> I suppose it's like a, a weird ransom situation. <laughs> yep, watch me. Watch Lucille. All I can think of is that uh, Stewie guy. Look what I can do. And they get like a million followers, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Drew, it's yeah. uh, been great talking with you. But before we sign off for the night, what we typically do is ask if our guest would like to have a song featured at the end of this interview. So is there anything that you would like to feature as a song? And if so, you want to talk about it a little bit. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm assuming that be something that we send you, right? Yeah. You just have to send me whatever okay. song. You... Yeah. But yeah, we can do that. Um, sure. I know exactly which one, which one to do too. Um, so a little bit of, about the song then. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it's a song. It's called uh, Postage. It's off of our 2018 EP called The Path, um, which was a real fun thing to put together. We, everybody in the band likes different stuff. And so we decided, hey, let's do an EP that kind of covers everything that we like. So it's got some like prog rock on it. It's got some metal on it. It's got some like uh, Django Reinhardt style hot jazz on it. Nice. It's got some R&B and it's got some indie rock stuff. And uh, the particular song was one that my sister, Catherine, our, our lead singer, wrote, went through so many renditions. Uh, and it took, <laughs> took probably a good two years for us to settle on, uh, on the right thing. And... Uh, yeah, it was kind of our, I guess, I from, from my perspective, from all of the, the writing sessions that we had, it was kind of our take on Salisbury Hill by Peter Gabriel. Nice. Yeah. Hmm. It's a lot of yeah. fun. And it features my wife on trumpet and uh, local musician uh, John Seavers on trombone. Hmm. Nice. You, yep. just got it. Yeah. you just got it all. <laughs> yeah we try we yeah, we all we that. like everything so we try to have a little bit of something for everybody you're like the friendly or less annoying jack black in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> that's i would love to beat that guy still i i rewatched school of rock all the i remember i remember uh i feel like during... you could sue him for that movie like that's my life how dare you <laughs> no i i remember during the uh the year of the beast Yes. There was uh, a period where all of the lessons stopped. And fortunately, the owner of the of the studio that I work at was quick on his feet. And so he's like, hey, we're pivoting to like video lessons. And mm -hmm. so for several months straight, I was recording, pre-recording 30-minute video lessons for I was teaching 70 students a week at the time. Wow. And so I was recording video and audio, editing it together, uploading it. I would start working at like seven in the morning and would get done at around one in the morning, every Ooh. single day, seven days a week for about three or four months. And I remember there was like one moment where I could finally take a break and I watched school of rock and I, I cried when the students played the show at the end. Cause I was like, I remember when I got to watch our students perform, <laughs> <laughs> I just wept to myself for, you know, a good 20 minutes. 
it's was cathartic. Not, it was not a good time, but like basically <laughs> you're one of the unsung heroes who that kept it together, you know, regardless of the situation. And oh, the I'd crazy be hesitant to I'd be hesitant to call myself a hero. I was just no, doing but music, like, but you kept people, you know, you still did your thing and kept those people saying at home instead of, you know, being down in the dumps, you know, again, the show's about negativity, but then, sure. you know, you've taught us that there's positive things going on, just like what your story, you know. Well, I appreciate it. That example of you just working really hard to get them students to learn their stuff because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all musicians and we don't want to quit doing music and we want the next generation to keep keep it going. Exactly. Not especially, downhill. Yeah. Especially a next generation of bassists and drummers. Yeah. Yes. You hear that, yep. kids? If you're out there listening, which you probably shouldn't have listened to this podcast, but <laughs> um, if you did, play the bass, play the drums. Yes, right. please. You'll make you, money. You, you probably will because you'll always have unlimited gigs. I play bass in like five bands. You'll make money. How many bands are you in again? Just well, maybe you don't have to listen because you do. You said you did a. A lot of other side work, but like, oh, yeah, official bands do you have? Uh, I got Breakthrough. I play with a band called Al's Fona, which is a super fun. The singer of that band is so stinking good. And uh, ALSFONA, if you if anyone's curious to look them up, and it's like kind of a a less 90s style incubus with catchier songs, I would say. Hmm. And then uh, there's a country band that I'm in called County Line Drive. Um, that's been real fun. We've opened for like Cassidy Pope and the, the, the Walmart yodeling kid and all sorts of people. And then, uh, and not then the I da- play, not the dancing guy. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of dancing guys, man. Oh yeah. You're right. <laughs> uh, and then I play with an artist, uh, named Debbie Anthony, who's a like country singer songwriter person. She's great. And so it's nice. like four official and soon to be potentially five official because the guys from the guys from uh from the old dubstep metal band uh want to start a start a new project so here's hoping nice awesome awesome yeah yeah well drew it's been a pleasure talking with you yeah thanks uh, for having me We don't typically find out too much information about who we interview, so we never really know what to expect. So that's kind of how we prefer to go into things. I respect yeah. it. And well, strictly speaking, we're not complete a uh, complete metal podcast at all. This ain't not what it's all about because obviously your story, you're in different genres, and that's actually good to hear like another side of something that isn't like metal related. Yeah, even though a lot of the, yeah. a lot of the people we've interviewed and have interviewed or whatever coming up. They've been involved in metal bands and we're trying to branch out to not just focus on metal. We want everyone out there to be able to be included because it's not always just bad in metal. It's got some bad stuff in every genre. Oh yeah. I I know that. <laughs> mm. Well, cool. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's been, yeah, appreciate it's been fun. It. Yes, yes. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. And that's gonna do it tonight. So again, thanks, Drew. And if anyone out there listening would like to be on a future episode, you can just send an email to Brandon at darksideofthescene.com and we will get you scheduled on a future episode. Good night, guys. Thank you.
it's dead now I used to wait at the door somehow But you moved out And postage is a twenty dollar bill Send the letters I'm holding on to still Across the ocean and above the hills To get to you If I pretend you're here, would it hold me? If I pretend you're home, would I still be lonely? This empty house feels strange, like it's not mine. Come back Several months since anyone has seen a smile It's not an act And postage is a twenty dollar bill To send the letters I haven't written still Across the ocean and above the hills To get to you If I pretend you're here, would it hold me? If I pretend you're home, would I still be lonely? This empty house feels strange, like it's not mine. But I don't need you here, maybe this is good for me. I'll be fine. I said I'm fine. I've come to the conclusion. Isolation, there's a lesson This intimacy is illusion To feel alone is to forget 